Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Amen. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Bailey. Thank you, Brandon. Wow. So in other words, what love needs is for all of us to do, as Reverend Sherry often invites us to do, dress up and show up. Speak your truth with love. That's all we got to do. So this is indeed the second week of the Lenten season, as uh, uh, Kalon pointed out to us. And Lent is that wonderful time of year preparation for that symbolic transformation symbolized by Easter. You know, it, it reminds me that each of the major events in our lives is preceded by a period of preparation. So we have the Lenten season that precedes Easter. There's the Advent season that precedes Christmas. There's education that precedes graduation. There's pregnancy that precedes birth. There is always an important time of preparation for a big thing. And so it is incumbent upon us to utilize that preparatory season for our own betterment. Now, the idea of the Lenten season is not scripturally based. You won't find anything about it in the Bible. It was the creation of the early church in roughly the fourth century. And as we shared last week, varies widely depending on which community is celebrating it. And that's all right. The key for us to take away from that is a period of preparation. What are we going to make it mean? What are we going to do in that period of preparation that is meaningful for us, that is instructive, that is helpful? Now, within the Christian families of faith, there are three primary activities that take place during the Lenten season. Prayer, fasting, my least favorite, and almsgiving. Let's do, we can utilize each one of those in our lives if we are uh, willing to, to really make something of the season. So for the idea of prayer, we would say in unity, it's always a good idea to develop a prayer practice or meditation practice or deepen the one you have. Always a good idea. So to that end, I have two suggestions for you. I invite you to come early and participate with our prayer chaplains in what we call Silent Chapel. It takes place in the chapel on the other side of that wall from 10 to 10.30. Show up, come and stay as long as you can, and just have that experience of sitting in the silence. Now, if you've not done this before, done this before in community, it may seem kind of crazy, but it's powerful powerful and profound, even for a high extrovert like myself who can hardly keep his mouth shut. It is so rewarding to just listen and be in that space, a possibility. So I want to thank our prayer chaplains for making that possible for us. Also, our prayer chaplain on duty today, Linda Powell, who she didn't be misbehave. That's not why she's sitting in the corner. She's a prayer chaplain on duty. She's leading a class, Unity Prayer, on Saturday, starting this coming Saturday, the 2nd. Um, please sign up for it. If you want to learn the fundamentals of affirmative prayer or deepen your practice, Linda will hook you up. Information is available on our website. Let's talk about fasting for a minute. Fasting, which somehow seems to make time slow down. So there's kind of an ironic twist with the name. This is an excellent period of time for us to actually ask ourselves, what am I eating? And what are the effects on the earth of what it is I am eating? 
Am I eating a lot of food that is not necessarily helpful or produced in a healthy way? Or can I congratulate myself for having made some real positive changes? But we can even move beyond that to ask ourselves, what am I consuming? You know, we talk about our economy as consumer-based. It means we're, we're consuming things. And I have to ask myself, are we consuming in a healthy and wise and appropriate manner? Do we really need so much stuff? And where is all this stuff coming from? And how is it produced? And how are the people treated who are producing all the stuff that I'm consuming? I don't have an answer for that. But I think it's important for each one of us to ask the question, is what I'm consuming, what I'm buying, what I'm taking in, actually helping me to be my best self? And a lot of stuff does. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with stuff or anything wrong with consuming. We just want to be mindful and know that everything that we take in has a consequence. Let's be aware of what those are so we can make wise choices that benefit not only ourselves, but the people, the planet itself. And the last thing is almsgiving. Charity, in other words. It's the support of causes and activities and people that are meaningful to us that are making a positive and constructive impact in the world. Now, the word, word alms itself has a complex etymology, but it basically means compassion. So this is an excellent season of year for us to discern and review where are we giving our energy and our life to, what, to what activities, what causes, and how generous are we willing to be? Is it possible we might be able to give more to this cause or that cause or, or this activity? that makes a constructive and positive difference in the world? Could we possibly shift some of our consuming and make it more of our giving? Again, I only raise questions because this is what I am in discernment about this Lenten season. How is my prayer life? What am I consuming? How am I giving? This is important process for us to engage if we really want to have a truly transformative experience symbolized by Easter. Let's move on. So this year, I'm basing my Sunday talks on this Linton booklet. I hope you all received a copy. If not, there are some left on the prayer table right there in the atrium. Please take one with you if you uh, haven't gotten one already this year. And the Linton Guidebook is designed each year to help us maximize this period of time. So in Unity, we talk about Jesus as the great example, not the great exception, of what it means to demonstrate Christ consciousness, meaning anything that we attribute to Jesus is entirely possible for us as well, which is all well and good until it isn't. It's well and good until we find those stories in, his, in the scriptures that, uh, of things he did or things he said that push our buttons, that make us uncomfortable, and that maybe we wish weren't even there. Because this character doesn't always do exactly what you think you might want to do. I, I just remember, and I've mentioned this before, growing up, uh, I'm still growing up. What am I talking about? Uh, remember the bracelets, the WWJD? You know, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, 
I hope a lot of parents aren't giving these to their children because they will have rambunctious, rebellious kids right off the get-go. But at least it would be rebellious and rambunctious for a reason. So for the record, I need to add that the record of Jesus' life and times, as recorded in the Bible, does not contain a single eyewitness account. It's important for us to be aware of that. The earliest of the Gospels to be written, the Gospel of Mark, was written, uh, scholars believe, roughly 40 years or two generations following the death of Jesus. So it's not an actual eyewitness account. What we have were stories in what we call the oral period that were passed down and passed down and passed down until they were eventually written down. Nevertheless, the words and the stories ascribed to him are still instructive for us today. As we often say in unity, they may not be facts with a lowercase f, but they contain capital T truths that we can use today to have life and have it abundantly. As an aside, uh, no, uh, the editor of this year's Unity Guide, and one who I'll quote from in just a moment, is Reverend Ellen Devonport. Reverend Ellen Devonport is one of ours that she left Unity of Fairfax to go to ministerial school. And the rest, as they say, is history. So you go, Reverend Ellen. <laughs> and this is what she has to say about Jesus. Let's look at this slide. Jesus was not a people pleaser. He never seemed to worry what others would think of him or how they might react, even when he knew they would be displeased. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but is there anyone here or maybe folks at home who might think, maybe I'm a people pleaser? I'll just own it for myself. Anyone here or at home who might be uncomfortable with conflict? Anyone here or at home who might just want everyone to like you? Anyone here or at home who sometimes feels maybe a little bit responsible for pretty much everything that happens? <laughs> ah, okay, we're getting close to home. Anyone here or at home who secretly harbors the desire to tell people where to go in the crassest language? <laughs> but don't, because that wouldn't be nice. It's awful, isn't it? And again, take it from one who knows. But interestingly, if the example of Jesus is to be followed, one thing we can learn is that people-pleasing isn't necessarily a part of the development of what we call Christ consciousness. And maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole, but it could be said that being authentic and being clear in one's stances, whether people like it or not, is definitely a part of demonstrating Christ consciousness. So I'd like to share with you a little bit about what else Reverend Ellen, who did I mention is one of ours, uh, wrote in the booklet this month. The early story of Jesus letting go of approval was in childhood when he stayed behind at the temple after the Passover. He offered no apology when his parents found him three days later. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And this is my favorite one. Later, when he was teaching healing and surrounding his mind, he was beside himself, which is another way of saying they thought he just kind of lost his marbles. In all the Gospels, his reaction was the same when told that his family was outside. Who are my mother and my brothers? 
And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And he seemed to feel no obligation to meet others' expectations. And he taught this lesson to Martha when he visited her home. So he was going to somebody else's home, and he's telling her, you know, about herself, as we colloquially say. She was bustling around, ensuring everyone was fed and comfortable, while her sister Mary sat at his feet listening. Martha demanded that Jesus tell Mary to get up and help her. I love this story. So I got to love Martha. I just got to say. So she goes up to Jesus, the man, the one, the myth, and she's telling him, you need to go do something. And Jesus what? What are you, my mother? Uh, but Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, and there's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. And Jesus knew the people talked about him. At one point, he said he was being compared to John the Baptist, and neither of them favorably. Quote, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon, and the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Like, well, this is where cancel culture started. <laughs> and he was not universally loved even in his hometown of Nazareth. They already knew him as the son of Mary and a carpenter, and their reaction was basically, who does he think he is? Jesus lamented to his disciples, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Wow. I mean, these are story after story after story of somebody who stood out, somebody who didn't quite get along all the time, someone who was authentic, and somebody who, as we would say, spoke truth to power and didn't really so much care about it. He didn't please all the people all the time. And neither can you, and neither can I. But here's an important note, and this is significant if we understand this disruptive character. There is an enormous difference between being strong for the sake of one's own betterment or the betterment of others as opposed to being strong or simply arrogant or opinionated or self-serving or just a complete obnoxious bore. You might know people like that. You might read about those folks in the papers. Strength in the creation of the beloved community, in the creation of a world that welcomes all, is imperative to have and not be ashamed of. Your words matter. Your presence matters. How you show up matters. That's how we demonstrate Christ's consciousness. And yes, sometimes it means do wonderful healing work and welcome everybody and all that. It does mean all that. Recall that in the three synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, there is a story in which Jesus is asked, which commandment is the first of all? 
And he answered, the first is hero, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The ministry of Jesus was focused on the goal of manifesting the kingdom of God in which all, yes, even the poor and the marginalized were loved and respected and appreciated. But for those without a true understanding of prosperity, namely that there is more than enough good to go around for everyone, such a message was and still remains anathema. Why? Why would somebody resist this message of prosperity that there is more than enough good to go around without needing to hoard or take or steal from somebody else? Because of the often entrenched idea that for someone to feel important, somebody else must have less, must be less. Less money, less power, less position. This tells us then that greed for anything ultimately is a symbol of a poverty consciousness that just doesn't know or won't accept. There is enough for everyone. There's enough good for everyone to thrive and be appreciated and respected without having to take from anyone. But I digress. That's a different talk for a different day. We could say that Jesus made good trouble. And if we consider him the great example of what it means to grow into Christ consciousness, then we will do the same thing for the right same reasons. And it's only trouble if there is a perceived need to defend an unequal status quo, otherwise it's perceived as cooperation and collaboration and partnership where everyone benefits. So yes, people will be displeased when you are working for progress and positive change for yourself you know, breaking free of bad habits of thought and act, or when you're working for positive and constructive change that welcomes everyone to the play table without exception. But recall these words from the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter, utter, utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account. In other words, you're following my example and they will criticize you for doing so. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That state of mind, heaven is a state of mind where I feel at peace and I can live with myself and I know I'm doing the right thing. So great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But we must raise the consciousness of humanity. We must continue to build those bridges of connection and faith. We must 
know how our consuming and our praying and our almsgiving is making an impact in the world so that we can know that seven generations from now, people will be thriving and grateful because of what we said and more importantly, what we did. I'd like to close with a quote from one of my favorite theologians, the eminent Howard Thurman. One of his most famous quotes, and he said this, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I honor that divine life in you. It is making a difference right here and right now. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.